Well, good morning again, church. So this morning, as we just said, this is our second to last message on this book of Philippians. And that's because, as you can probably see, this letter is beginning to come to an end. And this morning, we have Paul give, once again, a very famous Bible verse there, especially in verse 13. But then he's also going to talk about an important topic, contentment. And so that will be our main topic here this morning, contentment. But before we even talk about that, I want us to see all how Paul gets to this topic of contentment in our passage. And we'll see this in just verse 10. So before we even talk about contentment in our outline for this morning, why don't we look down at our Bibles. We're going to begin in just verse 10 together. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So as you can see, Paul right away there is rejoicing in the Lord about something, which as we know by now is a big theme in this letter of Philippians. And what's he rejoicing about? That the Philippians have revived their concern for him. And then he gives that somewhat confusing, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And this is a classic example of how if the Bible at first might seem a little confusing, but when you boil it down, we see that all this means is that the Philippians now we know, had recently sent some support of some kind to Paul. And so Paul's point in verse 10 is that they were always concerned for him, he believes that, but they didn't have the opportunity to show him their concern until they supported him like this. So I know it's a lot, but that's all verse 10 is about. It's about a Christian brother, Paul, in need, in a Christian church, the Philippians, loving him and sending him support. And it's about how Paul rejoices in the Lord because of that love. But I want us to see as we start, because it's this verse now, which leads us to our topic of contentment. In other words, he's now using, Paul's using this talk of support and money to then transition to a topic that he thinks is really important for us, Christian contentment. And so on the one hand, you can see it. he wants the Philippians to know that he's really thankful for their gift. But on the other hand, he does want them to know that even if they never sent the gift, he still has contentment in Christ. And so we should be like that as well. Which then brings us to our outline and our main topic of contentment. So I say that contentment is our main topic because it really is all what all of verses 11 through 13 are about. And so for our time this morning, we'll ask two main questions about contentment, two main questions. First, we'll ask the what of contentment, meaning we'll ask what is contentment? What does it look like? So that'll be our first section. But then second, and importantly, second, we'll ask the how question of contentment, and how can we be more content? And so that's our outline. And to be honest, maybe even hearing that, you might notice that this passage, and so this sermon is set up in such a way, as we'll see, that the what comes first and then comes the how. And so I say that because don't be surprised then in this first section this morning, if you hear us talking so much about contentment without explaining how to be content, because <laughs> that will come in the second part of our passage. So that's our outline. In sum, what, first, what is contentment? And then second, how do we become more content? So that said, let's now begin our first section this morning asking, what is contentment? What does it look like? And for this, we'll be in verses 11 and 12, but we'll begin with just verse 11. So look down at your Bibles, Philippians 4, 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
So to begin, first notice that word content. You can see it there at the end of the verse. So that's clearly the main idea here, being content. But interestingly, this word is only used here in the whole New Testament, which shows that it isn't you know, a common Christian idea. A variation of this word is used two other times in the whole New Testament. Once in 2 Corinthians 9.8, where Paul says that God enables us to have sufficiency or contentment in order to do good works, which is interesting. And the other time is in 1 Timothy 6. You might know this verse where a variation of this word is used where Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So those are similar, but again, they're not exactly the same word. And so this idea is not a prominent idea in the whole New Testament. But it was a very prominent idea in philosophy back then. And we'll talk more about this in a second, in our second point. But for now, we should know that this idea of being content that Paul's talking about here in Philippians 4.11 was one of the main virtues that many people were after in Paul's day. And you can understand why, because this, this word means, right, to be satisfied, to not need anything else, to be okay no matter what comes your way. And so that's the definition just of the word itself, to be okay, to be satisfied, to be content. But now look with me at how the Bible talks about this contentment here in verse 11. Notice two things about this contentment here in this verse. And as a side note, verse 12 in a minute is just going to be elaborating on these two things. So two things about contentment in verse 11. First, notice that Paul decides to point out that he doesn't just have contentment, but that he's learned it. Quote, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Again, he'll elaborate on this more in verse 12, but this is interesting. If we think of it this way, he didn't need to say that. He could have just said, in whatever situation I'm in, I am content. And in fact, one one might think, and we might be tempted to think, that in Christianity we might say that contentment certainly isn't something we learn, But instead, we might think it's just something that we are miraculously given. Or we might think that contentment is just something we passively get as God sanctifies us or as as we're filled with the Holy Spirit or something like that. And some of that may be true, but notice, Paul decides to point out in verse 11 that contentment is something that is learned. And so contentment apparently involves being taught it and learning it. And as a quick application for us then, this means that the goal for all of us here this morning as we're talking about contentment isn't to leave here and boom, just automatically be 100% content. (laughs) That won't happen. But on the flip side, neither is the goal to just hear about contentment and it really have not much of an impact on your life. Instead, you can see it, the Bible is clear, contentment, brothers and sisters, is learned And so that's our goal, step by step, learning this more and more. It's not 100% or nothing, but it is real and learnable. And so we must believe that as we learn it more and more, we can start to have more of a real satisfaction and contentment in life. So that's the first thing about contentment in verse 11. But now look at the second thing Paul decides to point out there. And that's how contentment isn't externally based, but it's something that he feels, quote, in whatever situation Quote, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
Meaning whatever situation he finds himself in, that contentment can be there. And again, Paul will elaborate elaborate on this in the next verse. But in short, this means that contentment isn't just something that comes in the good times, but it can be there in whatever situation. And literally in the original, that just reads in whatever. The word situation is, is supplied. And so the idea of the Bible, to be clear, is whatever is going on, Whatever you're going through, you and I can learn to have this special okayness, this contentment. And so that's the answer to what is contentment in verse 11. It's a satisfaction, this okayness that is learned, that doesn't depend on circumstances, but can be found in whatever you're going through, which then brings us to verse 12. So verse 11 was an overview, verse 12, now Paul gets more specific. Or to say it another way, in verse 11 we asked just what is contentment, now we'll see what does contentment look like. So look down at your Bible, verse 12, he continues. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So this is contentment and action, if you will. So if verse 11 was an overview, now you can see that Paul is elaborating on things like the in whatever situation. Right? It begins in verse 12 with, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And this shows he's talking about totally different circumstances. And then as you can see, he continues in the next sentence. In any, in every circumstance, that's emphatic, any and every, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so once again, the Bible, as you can see, it's proving its point over and over for us. It apparently isn't about circumstances at all. Instead, in any, in every circumstance, whether low or high, plenty or hungry, having a lot or needing a lot, The Bible says there's a contentment that we can have. One last thing on all these circumstances, and this is really interesting, I'm sure intentional by Paul. Notice that in that first pair there in verse 12, you can see it for yourself, brought low and abound. The first one listed is the low thing, and the second thing listed is the high thing. Brought low and then abound. But then in the second pair in that same verse, it's reversed. The high thing is listed first, and then the low thing. Plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And and I say that seems to be intentional because it's because of this reversal that Paul is able to write, and you can see it for yourself in the verse, that he has learned contentment when he's, quote, facing plenty. (laughs) Facing plenty. And even as we say it like that, you might feel how jarring that is. Because it's one thing to say, I have learned contentment when I'm facing hunger or facing need. But isn't it true that we rarely think we need to learn contentment when we're facing plenty? And in fact, we usually don't even use the verb facing when we're talking about something good, like plenty. We face hard things, right? Like difficulty, or troubling times, or opponents, but facing plenty, right? Does that even make sense? Do we need contentment when we're facing plenty? Well, yes, right? The Bible says we do. And I bring up that point because uh, the point then for us is the Bible is clear that this need for contentment that we keep talking about isn't something that we only need in the low and difficult times. We shouldn't only ask ourselves, 
Where am I facing a bad situation right now and need to be content? That is a good question to ask. But another question to ask is, where am I facing a good situation right now and still need to be content? Because let's, let's be honest, it's sometimes when things are going well, when we finally get that thing we thought we needed or that situation finally works out the way we hoped, it's often then that we surprisingly aren't content. And it is this that starts to show us, right, that Christian contentment is different than the world's view of contentment. Because the world's view of contentment is if you get good circumstances around you, right, if you have that healthy body, if you have a good family, if you have a secure financial portfolio, if you have relaxing vacations, that good job, whatever it is, then you'll be content. If you have plenty or abundance or overflowing, then you'll be content. But if that's the case, then how come so many people have those things and they aren't content? Well, the Bible's answer here is that it's because contentment isn't circumstantial. And because of that, we need to learn contentment not only when we're facing need, but also when we're facing plenty. And so that's how Paul presses home this idea of whatever situation in verse 12 But finally, in the same verse, and this will lead us to our second question this morning, notice how he also elaborates on the fact that contentment includes learning. Because remember, in verse 11, the Bible says, I have learned to be content. And then here, in verse 12, it specifically says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And although most English translations use the same verb to learn here, in the original language, this word in verse 12 is a totally different word than the word in verse 11. And that's why the ESV, I think, tries to translate it here with something like, learned the secret. That's all one word in the original language, learned the secret. And this is a word that's actually borrowed by Paul from the mystery religions of his day, the mystery religions. And, and he does this not because he's saying they're right or anything, but just, because, just as we might use a word that's familiar with our culture, so Paul does that from time to time. And he's doing that in our passage both with the philosophers and the word content and with the mystery religions here and the word learned the secret. And in terms of what this meant in the mystery religions, the reason we call them now mystery religions is because a big part of them was learning special secrets that only those who were in the know knew about. And in this way, these were similar to a lot of secret societies or fraternities or sororities that might even exist today because once you become part of the group, the idea was you learned the secret. And in fact, the word that Paul uses here most literally would probably be translated as, I have been initiated into. And so you can kind of see what Paul's doing here. He's not only learned contentment in verse 11, but specifically now in verse 12, he's emphatically saying, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. I've been initiated. I'm in the inn. I know how to be content. Now, to be clear, please don't hear this and, and think that Paul's saying that in Christianity, there's a secret knowledge that only some of us within the faith know about. He's not saying that at all. We're going to see that in the next section. And we know that's especially not what he's saying because he has whole letters that he wrote, such as Colossians and a part of Galatians, where he's mainly going against that idea. And so instead, what he's doing here in Philippians is he's setting up what he's about to say in a powerful way, as we'll see. And it's a way that the people in his time would have understood and felt, and it's a way that hopefully we're starting to feel as well. 
So that's verses 11 and 12. What is contentment? What does it look like? We saw that it's a satisfaction, this okayness that isn't dependent on circumstances, but instead can be found when things are difficult or when things are great. Finally, it's something that's learned, something that we can even learn the secret about, something we can even, in a weird sense, be initiated into. And so the question is, well, then how? How can we have this contentment? Or especially after talking about what we just talked about and learning the secret, we should be reading this, and I think this is Paul's point, and we should be asking, so what is it? What is the secret? Which leads us perfectly to now our second section, our question this morning. So that was what contentment is. But now the question is, how can we be more content? And for this, we'll just be in verse 13. Yet before we do even look down and read that very famous verse in the Bible's answer, really quickly, it's here I want to even just go back a little bit more and give even more historical background on this word and idea of being content. I do this because I think it'll be really helpful because as we'll see, this is something that was really applicable to them and their culture and it really applies still to us in our culture. So as we said earlier, this idea of being content, which came up in verse 11, was a very popular virtue that many people were after in Paul's day. And this is especially the case for those who were known as the Stoics. The Stoics. And and the Stoics were a prominent philosophical group who taught that it was a great virtue to be unmoved by external circumstances and to have this contentment in whatever comes your way. And in that sense, that sounds right, very similar to what we're talking about here this morning. And that's why Paul is picking up using that same word. And so we talked about that already, but here's the important part we haven't talked about yet. So the Stoics and other groups like them back then prized contentment. But what they also taught was that how you got this contentment was through self-will or willpower. Meaning they taught that you learned this contentment in whatever circumstances by being self-sufficient by your own self-determination. It was by going through these things and learning through them and determining and willing in yourself to not be phased by them. And in this way, their virtue of contentment was so prized because for them, it meant that the person who was content was independent and self-sufficient. And why? All because they'd learned this self-determining control and power and inner strength. Or to quote someone who was writing about the Stoics, he says, the Stoic contentment was, quote, that man should be sufficient unto himself for all things and able by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstances. So that was it back then, but I bring that up because even today when people talk about being content or not letting circumstances bother you, This self-sufficiency is the same philosophy that still dominates our world. And sadly, it sometimes shows up in many so-called Christian self-help books and such. Now, of course, not many people are using that and calling themselves Stoics anymore, but think about it. When people talk about being content or not being phased by the circumstances around you? What is the default reasoning for what people believe of how and why you cannot be phased? Well, it's because the belief is that you need to have this self-will, this inner strength, 
this inner belief to not be phased. And so it's the same self-sufficiency that was taught by the Stoics thousands of years ago. But, as you'll now see in a second, the main part of our passage this morning is that, yes, the Bible here is using the same word about being content. And yes, we are also looking for contentment and we're prizing contentment. But what we're about to see is that self-sufficiency, our willpower, is not the biblical way to contentment. Self-sufficiency, willpower, having inner strength, being independent is not the answer to how we can find contentment. That's not how God set us up to work. Instead, what is it? How can we be more content? What is the secret that we can learn that can help us be more content in all circumstances according to God's word? Verse 13. So look down at your Bibles. We'll start at verse 12 again for context. Verses 12 and 13. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any, every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And, and so in summary, how can we be more content? Not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. And this is a big deal, right? a big difference. And this is why Paul is taking up this idea of being content. And while on the one hand he's connecting it to the same virtue of contentment that they, used, that they were used to, he's also on the other hand totally turning it on its head. <laughs> because once again, for them back then and for many people today, contentment equaled self-sufficiency. The content person was the person who was so strong in their own strength and determination that they weren't phased by external circumstances. But the Bible comes in here and says, no, that's not how it works. That won't work. Instead, how do we find lasting contentment by being people who, in all things, turn to him, to Christ, for strength? That's how we can be okay, satisfied, no matter what comes our way, not by being self-sufficient, but Christ-sufficient, not inner strength, but Christ's strength. And as a sort of a side note, now you can see why Paul isn't saying there's some secret knowledge that only certain Christians know. Instead, as you can now see, the secret isn't really any further Christian secret that only certain people know at all. Instead, the answer is, and has always been, Christ himself. There's no further secret in Christianity besides Jesus Christ. He's God, he's our Savior, and now he and his strength are, are how we can be content. And so that's the answer to how we can be more content. But even as we talk about this verse, we also probably all recognize that this verse is one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. <laughs> and, and rightly so. And so with that said, now that we see the context here and what Paul is getting at, Let's now apply this verse to ourselves with one thing this famous verse doesn't mean and then one thing it does mean for us. So one thing it doesn't mean and one thing it does mean. So to begin, first, you can now see that this verse isn't as broad as we sometimes make it. And this is why if you ever Google things like, and I, you, I encourage you to do it, it's interesting, if you ever Google things like most misused Bible verses, <laughs> Or, most Bible, or, most, or Bible verses most taken out of context, this verse will almost always be on the list. 
And that's because many people take Philippians 4.13 and they think that this verse is saying that nothing is impossible for me as long as God enables me to do it. In that sense, that sort of might be a truth, but specifically in context here, the all here is referring to the every circumstance in verse 12. And in fact, it's the same word in the original language that's used both in verse 12 and verse 13. So literally, verse 12 in the middle says, in all circumstance, and all in every circumstance. And then in verse 13, I can do all through him who strengthens me. And so most literally, the verse reads, I can do all through him who strengthens me. And so the question is, what's the doing and what's the all? And in context, as you can see, the doing is I can be content. And the all is all circumstances. And so that's the point of this verse. And it's honestly much plainer in the original language than it is sometimes in our English translations. So again, literally, this verse has nothing to do with, for example, getting up to bat at a baseball game and saying, I'm going to hit a home run because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now what's really interesting is that this verse could apply there if you meant whether I hit a home run or strike out, I can be content through Christ who enables me to be content. Because that would be using the verse correctly, but technically this is not a verse for us church that just says, I can do whatever through Jesus' strength. So that's what this verse doesn't mean for us, but now let's dig in a little bit more to what it really does mean for us, and it's this that of course is really our big takeaway this morning. Because although this is not a verse that's just literally saying you can do whatever, this verse does mean that Jesus is real, that he's alive, that he's involved in your life, and finally, that he's the one who is willing and able to enable you, to strengthen you, to have more of this amazing, non-circumstantial contentment. And now even as we say that, let's, let's remember, this contentment still is not something that happens instantaneously. It takes time to learn. And we aren't all sanctified and just feel his contentment fully at once. But the point is, Jesus is real church. You know that. And he can help you be more content. He really can. And you can see that this is the meaning, especially when you dig a little bit deeper you probably noticed in those two verbs there in verse 13, and I never knew this until studying this for this, this sermon this morning. But as you can see, there's two verbs there in verse 13, and taken together, they really help us understand what this verse is saying. And the first verb, as you can see, is translated can do. And this verb, though, primarily means to be strong or to be able. So that's the first verb, to be strong enough to be able to do something. And then the second verb, which the ESV translates strengthen, is not the same word, but it's really similar. Because here, the meaning is to enable or to strengthen. In other words, the point is that these verbs are so similar, and yet they're slightly different. And I think that's intentional and important, because this means that we can translate this verse in two different ways, and you can use whatever one you think is more helpful. First, we can say, I am able to be content in every circumstance through him who enables me to be. And in that way, the focus is on Jesus' enablement, his doing, when we know we aren't able to be content. We can't do that on our own. Or second, in a similar way, we can translate it as, I have the strength to be content in every circumstance through him who strengthens me. And in this way, the emphasis now is on Jesus' strength, his power, when we know we are not strong enough to be content, that we're weak. And so either way, the point is the same. We are weak. We can't do this. 
We can't, like the Stoics tried to teach and like our culture tried to teach, we can't be content by being self-sufficient people. It doesn't work. And if that's the case, then what we'll feel is contentment always just lies over the next ridge, right? Not content now, but through self-will, next time I'll feel contentment. It doesn't work. Instead, we as Christians are those who, in our same search for contentment, we're also looking for contentment, but we're those who admit we're weak. That we're unable to be content on our own, but we're then those who turn to Jesus. We know that he is able to enable us to be content. We know that he is strong enough to strengthen weak sinners like us to be more content. So that's what this verse means as always. It's ultimately about Jesus and who he is. It's about how he can help us be more content. I want to say it one last way, and I hope this helps. We, we as Christians, church, are not people who go through life and just try our best to have positive attitudes in the good and the bad. Of course, some positivity like that might be a good thing, but by just doing that, we're relying way too much on ourselves. And honestly, that'd make us no different from the world because the world is like that. The world loves positivity, self-sufficiency, self-determination, inner strength, and even contentment. And so what sets us apart? Verse 13 we're those who in our daily living in all things in every circumstance turn to Jesus for salvation, for peace, for hope, for purpose, and for contentment. We read his word. We pray to him. We embrace his gospel in his church. We surround ourselves with other people who believe in him. We repent and return to him when we mess up. In short, we're all about Jesus and his lordship and his strength in our lives, and we trust him, and through him we can find more contentment. So that's our text. First, what is contentment? Satisfaction, okayness that can be learned in any and every circumstance. And second, how do we have more of it? Well, it is not by our own self-will or self-sufficiency, but through Christ, through his enablement, through his strength. So that's our passage. And of course, again, the big application then for all of us as we leave here this morning is to go and actually do this, to rely on Christ. Not your own self-determination or self-sufficiency for your contentment. Really do that. Day in and day out. Think about Christ. Pray to him. Read his word. Rely on him. But as we do that, let me now close by just sharing with you one simple encouragement and one simple warning on all this. One encouragement and one warning. First, the encouragement. And it's this. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to be weak. And in fact, we might even say that the Bible teaches that it's preferable in a way to recognize that you are weak. And now what I mean by that is not this weird asceticism where you think that you're closer to God because you're suffering or you're, you're miserable. That is not biblical. But what is biblical is that recognizing on your own, you're weak. You're unable to provide yourself happiness. You're unable to follow Jesus on your own. You're unable to be content on your own. We are all so weak. And on this, in my own personal Bible reading, I'm reading through 2 Corinthians, and this week I happen to read 2 Corinthians 4-7, which is a semi-famous verse, but hear this verse now with this idea of weakness in mind. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, is talking about the treasure of knowing Jesus and knowing the gospel, and he says this, 2 Corinthians 4-7, 
But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. And so you see the point. We have this treasure. We know Jesus in the gospel. We're saved, and part of that knowledge is knowing that we can have joy and contentment in him. But even with that treasure, what are we? Jars of clay. On our own, we're weak. We're frail. We're easily shattered apart from his protection. And why did God do it this way? Think about it. Why did he make us, his people, jars of clay and not strong iron boxes to hold a treasure like this? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so that's the encouragement. It's okay to be weak. In fact, to be a Christian, you have to at least recognize you're weak. It's a good thing to recognize that you're a jar of clay. It's a good thing to recognize that on your own you can't be content, all because it's then that you will turn to him for strength. So that's the encouragement, but the warning then, church, is the opposite. And it's this. Watch out for strength. Watch out for your strength. And I mean that for all of us. Watch out for your strength. And of course, what I mean by this is being aware of feeling so strong in such a way that it subtly becomes you're self-sufficient, self-reliant, and the opposite of what we saw here in our passage this morning. Because yes, by God's grace, we all want to have strength and ability to live life well, to love well, to be encouraging to others, to be more content. And our passage, especially verse 13, is of course having a certain contentment through Jesus. But the warning is, one, watch out for where you go for that strength. And especially, two, watch out for becoming so strong that you start to just become like everyone else, relying on yourself and your own self-will for your strength, and thereby really trusting in yourself. And so as we close, I'm not saying that we as Christians are supposed to be seeking to be miserable all the time. Remember, our text is about having contentment in every circumstance. So we're not out to feel miserable. We want to be content, but where and how we go for that contentment is a big deal. Because if we seek it through ourselves, our own self-will, our circumstances, then we're just like the world. It won't last long and it won't glorify Christ. It'll glorify us. But if we seek our contentment through Jesus and his strength, then even though we're weak, we can find a contentment that will last. All because, as verse 13 beautifully tells us, as Christians, we believe that it's through him who strengthens us that we can have this lasting, Christ-glorifying contentment. Amen?